Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to John, CIO of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. And we discuss what it's like running the IT function at the largest water treatment facility in the world. Their approach to cybersecurity as attacks on critical infrastructure have become more common and how working with Ramini Street has freed up John's IT team to spend more time on IT-related tasks. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. You're currently CIO at, do you call it the MWRD Metropolitan Water Reclamation Department or District? District. Yeah, <laughs> district. At Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, but we use MWRD to, as short. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So tell me, how did you initially get into technology and eventually find yourself there? Oh, wow. Great question. Um, so my journey started uh, many years ago, once upon a time, right? Um, like you, I was interested in computers uh, in high school, um, but my high school days were probably way before yours, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I started off in high school doing um, programming and, and basic and then Pascal. So, um, you know, I, I, I've always liked to, to fix things. I've always liked electronics. And I uh, ended up taking an aptitude test, believe it or not. And it uh, basically said I would be good at uh, two things, counseling and computers. <laughs> so nice. I, I uh, decided so, to go to computer. Right? So tech wow. leadership. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you know, which wasn't a thing, believe it or not, back then. So, you know, I started uh, my career. Ended up going to school for electronics technology and ultimately computer science. And I uh, went to Northwestern University for undergrad and grad. And actually, before I finished college, you know, there were job offers already on the table because back in the early '90s, there were not a whole lot of computer people out there, um, and there are fewer who are actually going to, to school for uh, for IT and computers. So um, I ended up. Uh, taking a job as a, uh, what was called a computer technician at the time. So my job was literally taking return computers out of the box and trying to fix them <laughs> and then nice. returning them back to a customer. So at that time it wasn't, you know, Best Buy wasn't around. So people would literally ship their computer back um, to companies. We would repair them and then send them back to the customer. So that was my very first job as a, in IT was, was a bench tech. So from that point, I uh, went, I, I, you know, learned a lot just from doing that. Um, I, I started networking uh, or wanted to learn networking. I went into networking back in that time. Uh, the, this was pre-Ethernet. <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, working on what were called token ring networks at the time. So that ultimately evolved into working on uh, Ethernet networks and Novell. I ended up uh a couple of years later, working at a, a global law firm as a, uh, a what was called a level two computer technician at the time. So my job was basically a, to level go to two. various floors. Level two, <laughs> hey, yeah, moving up the ladder. Right? Um, but, you know, I was basically the break fix person to, to go and fix computers out on the floor. 
So from that point, uh, my career, you know, really started to take off. So I went from, from, you know, being a level two tech to actually being a network administrator, um, working on the time, what, what was Novell 3.5 and then Novell 4. And we were transitioning to Windows. So got an opportunity to learn a lot about Windows uh, uh, NT 3.5 and Windows NT 4. Um, and then from that point, an opportunity kind of fell in my lap, per se. A company that I worked for needed a uh, database administrator. Someone just left. And my boss came to me and asked me, would you be interested in learning database administration? Well, why not? <laughs> you know? yeah. So um, went through some training. I learned uh, a lot about Microsoft SQL Server. And I became a database administrator, which was odd at the time to go from you know, a person who was hands-on hardware over to the software yeah. side. So. Um, did that for about five or seven years and uh, decided that I wanted to move into management. <laughs> so, you know, started looking for opportunities in management, um, landed an opportunity at a professional services firm um, where I was managing a team of one, which is myself. <laughs> so I nice. uh, got an opportunity to actually, like yourself, build a team out um, at that point. So I grew the team from just myself up to about seven or eight people. Got another opportunity to, uh, when my boss at the time left, uh, to run the entire enterprise operations group. So, you know, got a promotion, bigger job. From that point, uh, I decided that I wanted to try and break to the C-level, which um, ultimately I did. I, uh, I was CIO for the Illinois Department of Public Health. So you probably heard a lot about them over the last you know, few few years with COVID, but yeah, yeah, I actually ran IT at that organization for about two and a half years. Um, and then I came here to the to MWRD where, uh, as you said, we uh, treat wastewater and stormwater for all of Cook County. So I have a pretty, pretty significant offering here. We actually uh, have the largest wastewater treatment plant in the world at our Stickney location. We treat uh, about 1 billion gallons of water today uh, per day, and we have capacity to go up to about 7 billion. So um, we can treat a lot of water. That's crazy. That's really cool. So was it a big learning curve? Like, or are you basically, are you kind of doing a lot of the same stuff implementing? Cause you're, you're running the IT organization for the water treatment facility. But did you have to learn a lot of like, specific water treatment stuff when you joined? Um, well, yes and no. Yes, in the aspect that what I've learned over my, my career, Adam, is that IT is IT. So when I worked, uh, you know, uh, as a, a DBA at that firm, it was the, the same challenges, the same uh, offerings in IT as it was for professional services, as it was for legal, as it was for IDPH, and as it is for MWRD. So I think IT transitions uh, throughout industry. Now, there are specific components to each industry. And with MWRD, it's the, the treatment side of it, or it was called our our SCADA network. So that's the, the actual network that's completely isolated. That's the part that people, uh, you know, bad actors really like to try and attack because they can flood the city and those types of things. So I had to learn a lot about that. You know, I had no real experience in, in, in the uh, water industry. So did a lot of uh, um, reaching out, uh, had the opportunity to network with people within the industry, went to a lot of conferences, met with the people within, you know, currently within the organization, the, the, the leaders of, of um, 
uh, Metro Water and just learned a lot. I mean, to the point now where I'm seven years in and I'm actually considered uh, one of the industry leaders in IT <laughs> for uh, utilities. You know, not That's just, really not cool. Not just uh, wastewater, but drinking water and to a certain extent, uh, gas and electric. That's awesome. And so you mentioned in there um, about how like bad actors are starting to target like critical infrastructure. Do you have a CISO at the MWRD or are you responsible for the security apparatus? What does that look like? Right now I'm responsible, but it just so happens that I, I'm about to put out a job description. I'm looking to hire a CISO. Um, oh, nice. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ready to, to actually get those duties transitioned over to someone else. I've, I've um, basically been playing a role for the last few years. So it, it's been a hybrid role, role of CIO and CISO, but I'm, I'm ready to, to bring someone in to, to kind of take our security to the next level. That's really cool. Well, you're you're in a good good place. I'm sure we have lots of really qualified security people that listen to this because we do some pretty security heavy episodes. So one thing I wanted to ask you about was was um, somewhat recently uh, the water treatment facility near my hometown in Bradenton, Florida, had a hack and there was like a big scare. And that was kind of my introduction to critical infrastructure as like something that gets hacked. Uh, so I'm curious, when another facility gets hacked, what's the communication like between them and the broader industry? And how do you learn from those other attacks to to shore up your security? That's a great question. Um, so the industry as a whole is very collaborative. I'm constantly at conferences. I'm constantly speaking or listening to webinars. Um, or there, there are various groups that I'm, I'm a part of, like uh, one being a, a group of CIOs just for uh, freshwater and wastewater utilities throughout the entire country. Um, we actually have partnerships with even other countries because people want to understand our operations um, in some countries that uh, don't have the uh, the uh, infrastructure to to treat uh, the, the amount of water the way that we do they're trying to learn from us and they're they've kind of latched on and started to learn about how we do information security also um so you know it's really speaking with um others in the industry it's really kind of communicating out uh, i won't name the city but there was a, a massive uh, uh exploit at at, at a city and the person is, is part of our CIO group, the person who runs their wastewater treatment uh, IT department. So he literally put out a message to our group saying, hey, we're in the midst of a ransomware attack right now. Is there anyone with experience who can help us? You know, that, uh, and within minutes, you know, we were on a call, <laughs> you know, helping him and, and, and talking him through it based off of our experiences. So it's a very, you know, open and collaborative industry. And we really try and jump in and help each other when we can. That's really cool. So what are like the typical threat vectors or how do the attackers typically get into uh, these critical infrastructure facilities? So it's usually through um, antiquated software. So it's the traditional old exploits, right? Or vulnerabilities. It's antiquated software not being patched. It's undocumented, unauthorized devices that are sitting out on your network that you know no one has touched in, in eight, 10 years, but and it has all these, these open ports or what have you. So, um, and then the primary way uh, right now are through people. 
and, and that's not just within critical infrastructure, but that's across the board. Um, like you mentioned, the, uh, the the situation by your hometown that was due to a person, you know, um, kind of leaving an exploit open. So, you know, the, those are probably the, the the key ways: is antiquated software, people, and just devices sitting out there. So, do you have like some anti phishing training or general security mindedness training for your employees at the MWRD? Absolutely. You know, people are are really the, the, the number one target uh, that, that bad actors go after. So we actually have mandatory uh, cyber awareness training that our, all of our employees have to go through um, at least once per year. Um, we actually put metrics behind the training. We do what uh, I've coined the term called white fishing. <laughs> so we send out, uh, you know, mock fix, fishing exercises to, to try and get people to, to click on things and, you know, when they do, we actually push them to to take additional training to say, hey, you know, this happened and do you know why you clicked on this and yeah. you understand that this and this and this. So, um, so yeah, I think that that's something that's happening throughout every uh, organization right now. I mean, if it's not, it's something that should happen at every organization right now. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I get emails from my CEO sometimes uh, right. <laughs> that are... Um, not him. <laughs> and yeah, it's definitely important to, to be aware. But so what would you say is like, I'll, I'll ask you, I'll do a bad interview technique here and ask you two questions at once. Um, <laughs> what are the, some of the most important things that people on the front line can be doing to prevent bad actors getting in? And what are some of the most important things that management can be doing to help them? Obviously, the training is going to be one of them. But um, do you have any other tips? Yeah, it really is to be aware. It's to understand that uh, cybersecurity is not just an IT initiative. It's a company-wide initiative. So, you know, you as an employee of the company, um, it's your responsibility to be cyber aware and, you know, to, to practice good cyber hygiene. So that's something that we, we constantly push. And that's from an individual perspective. From a management perspective, I say uh, that as managers, we really have to push to ingrain cybersecurity into the fabrics of our organization. So, you know, uh, understand that that this threat is out there as managers and try and provide the necessary resources to um, really combat it, to educate our, our, our staff and, and our employees within an organization and to be supportive of the IT department. You know, we get beat up pretty badly sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, um, it, it, it helps when management across the organization uh, are all on one accord and understand that, you know, we have to have a, a really good cyber hygiene across the organization. Yeah, from a lot of the people I talk to and just the people that come on the show and Joel talks to, it seems like it's becoming kind of a way of the past to have IT report to finance um, and that having more of a disconnect between security and the rest of the organization. Um, I think especially is probably really sped up by the pandemic and remote work. And so of course, then security has to be a top priority because when I first started here at this podcast, it was like a hot topic of like, man, how can you convince your fellow executives that security is important? 
and now it's everyone's just like yeah of course security is important uh, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> that's that's the number one thing of course but so i think that's a that's a really positive trend for sure mm-hmm. no I, I would absolutely agree and uh you know what what's really happened and, and uh, you know i use uh the analogy of a, a medieval castle, right? Traditionally, when we looked at organizations and uh, IT security, it was like we were guarding the, the crown jewels in the castle. So we had the, the, the big fence, you know, the, um, the wall, we had the malt, and then we had the alligators in the malt, you know, <laughs> in order to keep the bad actors down. But what's happened, particularly to your point, with um, more people going to a, a, a remote workforce, is that now those crown jewels, that being the data, are actually going out with people. So you're going outside of uh, you know that protected castle. So people have to be a lot more aware um, that if someone gets into just their computer and at their home network, that they could uh, open up an entire organization on the back end. So that's something that we also promote and try and make sure that people understand as uh, we went to a mobile workforce. Yeah, I think it was the CTO of Zscaler that described this really well. Um, He said that people are transitioning from like a coconut security model to an avocado security model. And (laughs) (laughs) what he means by that is uh, like the coconut just has a hard shell and then everything's just loose liquid inside. If you get through the shell, you're in, you have everything. But with an avocado, you got like the shell and then you got like a little bit of resistance of a gooey layer. And then on the inside of the organization, there's still a hard core of security that uh, you can't get to. And that's like preventing privilege escalation and um, preventing movement from within the organization once the bad actors are in. He did a much better job explaining it than I just did. But, um... <laughs> I get it. That's that's a great analogy. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the company Ramini Street with you because we were originally introduced through them because uh, we had their president, Sebastian Grady, on the show a while ago. Um, and he, uh, I, the main thing I remember from that episode is that he gave some excellent leadership advice. And he also made a great case for um, using third-party software support instead of the software support that uh, comes direct from like enterprise software providers. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with uh, Ramini Street and what you've been working on with them? Absolutely. Um, so we use Ramini Street for a, a third-party support provider for our, our ERP. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And we've used them for uh, almost four years now, coming into four years. And the primary driver was really around increasing our customer satisfaction. And when I say customers, I mean our internal customers. Those are the customers that we serve throughout our our um, our organization. So um, we can you clarify really, real quick? What are those in co- internal customers? What are they getting? So this would be our finance department, our procurement okay. department, um, everyone who subscribes to IT services, which is the got entire it, organization. Cool. Yeah. So you know, part of our struggle was that when we were with our our uh, prior provider, we in my opinion, could not get adequate support. So we could not turn things around fast enough. So we ended up with the 
pretty large backlog um, because things kept coming up while things are not, other things are not getting resolved. So one of the reasons that I wanted to go to a third party provider was to improve that customer service, which um, has worked out tremendously, honestly. So now we're at a point where we don't have a backlog because we're able to actually transition um, that support over to Ramini Street and they handle it in a, in a very uh, rapid manner. Um, they also pro, you know, provide us with a, uh, a great check-in point once per quarter. So I basically meet with our account manager once per quarter. We go through various tickets that we've had over the quarter. You know, they get a, uh, do a litmus test on how well they're performing and you know, try and see if there's anything that they can perform better on. So um, it's been a great partnership. They, they've worked very well with us. They've allowed us also to take part of our um, internal IT team and have them focus on other things while they're handling, um, you know, supporting our, our basis systems or um, doing other support around our ERP environment. That's awesome. So like before you had a bunch of IT people spending a big chunk of their time on customer service, more or less, and now that's taken care of and they can spend time on IT things. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> was it was it like a big transformation implementing this? Um for our organization it was it was uh it was a big transformation. Um it was something that had not been done prior to my coming on board. So it was really new and uh, you know with, with new things and with change comes angst. So there was some angst on our business side and once we we actually got in, or once you know, once I was able to convince the organization that this was the the route that we needed to go, um, we got our, our partner Ramini Street on board on board, and you know, as soon as they started to chip away at that backlog, we started to build cre- credibility with with our internal customers, and you know, to the point where it was like, oh wow, this is great, and we should have done this years ago, you know. So they they. Uh, Ramini Street really helped us build that credibility. Um, and, you know, it kind of reinforced that we were going in the right direction. That's awesome. I'm, I'm sure it's a problem for, not a problem, but a challenge for a lot of executives encountering inertia within their organization when they want to implement a new initiative. So what was convincing when you made the case to your colleagues to, to make this big change? Because that's uh, I'm sure that could be helpful for people listening. Mm-hmm. So it, w- it was really about kind of laying out the, laying out what could be, right? It's like, we know where we are. Here, here's where we are. We have this backlog. Um, we have inadequate support. But if we were to, to make this transition, you know, it may be a little bit painful as we're making it. But once we get to the other side, here is what we, you know, could see. And as we started to, uh, once we decided to, to, like I said, make that transition and um, we, we kind of hit the low hanging fruit and, you know, we started to build that credibility and it just created a flywheel effect to where our customer satisfaction shot up tremendously, our internal customer satisfaction. So it's really about, you know, kind of painting a, a utopian picture and getting your um, internal stakeholders or your, your internal customers to, to really see what could be, right? Because like I say, you know where you are, but you have to kind of show them where you, where you could be. 
So obviously this has freed up a lot of time for your IT team to, to do IT stuff. What's some of the cool projects that are going on at the MWRD that you're excited about today? Good, good question. Um, so, you know, we're uh, at the tail end of a cloud migration. Um, one thing that we we uh, we really doubled down on was um, going to the cloud. So we're about 90% in the cloud right now, which is, um, uh, you know, light years ahead of a lot of government organizations, government organizations at this point. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had the opportunity to implement an ITSM, IT service management solution. We were able to, by going with our managed services provider, we were able to cut our, our uh, ERP support maintenance by 50%. So we basically reallocated the savings to kind of help ramp up our internal IT department. So we implemented an IT service management solution. We're also, uh, you know, really constantly working on enhancing our, our security posture. So, you know, hiring a CISO, uh, um, we're constantly uh, doing vulnerability scans and that type of thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, and this is a little bit futuristic, but we're looking at uh, possibly doing a red team, blue team uh, type setup, you know, which, which could be a great project. Also, we're, we're uh, kind of re-architecting our SCADA environment. That's the environment that, uh, like I said, um, runs our, our treatment facilities. So that's a, a massive project that we're currently working through right now. So we have some some good things going on. That's really cool. Um, so are, are you implementing any kind of IoT stuff at the facility right now? We are. We've actually, we've been implementing IoT for almost two years now. We've implemented devices out in our waterways to uh, actually measure uh, various water levels. So and this is a great example or utilization of IoT. Um, prior to having these IoT devices, um, we literally had uh, people who would row out in a boat to the middle of a waterway and measure with a stick the height of the water. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and then they would write that down on a piece of paper. They would row back to shore and uh, take that paper and enter it into a computer system. <laughs> so we, you know, modernized that pro that process. We actually uh, got some some OI, uh, some IoT technology with with sensors. So now where we are is we are taking that data real time. <laughs> and um, actually presenting it out in various dashboards and, and utilizing the data to, to make real-time decisions. So we literally went from a 1940s process <laughs> over to uh, a modern-day um, IoT implementation. Um, and, you know, the entire thing took, uh, took about a year. We, we deployed about 40 sensors throughout various waterways, and, and that's actually continuing now. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really looking at modernization around that arena with, with IoT. Well, do you still get to give those people another excuse to get out and row and be on the water? <laughs> you know, honestly, uh, honestly, Adam, it was an easy sale. If, if you've oh, yeah. ever rowed uh, out to the middle of a waterway in Chicago in January. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, when you put it like that, that does seem like an easy sell. <laughs> See, I'm I'm a I'm a Florida man, so um, 
I, I always think of rowing as a fun activity. <laughs> you know, great June, July, August, but uh, come December, January, February, uh, not Bob so still great. needs to get done. <laughs> yeah. So with uh, having these, these devices out there, obviously they got to be connected. Um, and that's, we were talking about security earlier. That's increasing your threat landscape. Um, Correct. So how do you, how do you address the that the security of all of these sensors and IoT devices out on the waterways? And also, I guess what I what I'm really curious about is what is the real threat of those being hacked into? Like, what could they do if they got access to those sensors? Mm, it's a real threat. You know, the, the the threat is not an internal exploit per se. But what, what happens and, and what people have to be aware of, um, well, actually, let me let me take a step back and answer the first part of your question. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you have to go into uh, any implementation of new technologies with a security first mind frame, right? So you have to understand a security model around that device you have to understand what vulnerabilities you may be opening by implementing this new technology and then, you know, kind of mitigate those risks. So you have to think about it ahead of time. The last thing that you want to do is go throw some stuff out there and then, you know, <laughs> kind of let the chips fall right in day. Yep. That's going to lead you to a bad situation. You have to, uh, you know, think security first and, and, you know, pick a solution that has a, uh, a good security profile um, within it. So, you know, the, the, the second part of your question is, um, as I said, it's not a, a uh, vulnerability that could open up the, the back end of our organization. The threat is around weaponizing those IoT devices. So what, what's happening out in the marketplace right now, and this is, this is for, you know, an abundance of, of IoT devices. This includes like, you know, home devices like uh, thermostats and refrigerators, things that we don't traditionally think about as IoT devices, but that's exactly what they are. Yeah. You know, connected to the internet. Right? Blender. <laughs> so exactly, exactly. You know, great example. Um, so what's happening is that these bad actors are dropping code on these devices and they're weaponizing them to do DDoS attacks. So they basically, you know, get code on your device. You may not even know it's there. They own your device and they may take, you know, 1500 of these and point it at someone's website and bring it down. So that's, that's kind of where, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where the, the threats are right now, you know? So that's why I say when you implement those types of technologies, you, you have to have a security first mindset. That makes sense. That's man. That's really funny to think about like an army of refrigerators taking down a website. <laughs> that's exactly what it's actually happened believe it or yeah. not it happened uh that's how amazon was taken down um it was a botnet, really? botnet attack <laughs> oh man that's crazy wow so i i i'm i'm glad to know that uh you're you're on the case with your your water sensors and those aren't gonna take down amazon <laughs> next time um but we, we're getting a little bit close on time. Before we wrap up, I, I want to ask you a couple uh, leadership questions as you're an experienced tech leader. Is that, is that cool? Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. So one thing I'm curious about is when you are new to leadership or new to leading at an organization, like you're new to an organization, um, how do you establish yourself as a leader 
within the team that you're just put in charge of? Mm. So I, I think the first thing that you you have to do is listen, right? You, whenever I'm going into a new leadership opportunity or position, I make sure that the first thing I do is meet with my direct report. Uh, those are like the first meetings that go on my calendar. Um, then from that point, I meet with business leaders throughout the organization to understand what their challenges are, what their priorities are. And I kind of bring those two things together. So, you know, I tease out uh, current project struggles from my, my new team, per se, and uh, kind of pull that into an overarching strategy, you know, from, from what I get from talking to the, the business side. But I think um, the, the key to it is really listening, understanding, you know, letting everyone know that you're you're uh, not the um, the bull in the china shop. You're you're not here to kind of throw everything off whack, um, but you're really here to understand and kind of push things forward. So it's really listening, understanding, and then putting together a plan after that. Nice. So since you're hiring a CISO right now, and uh, so I'll, I'll kind of talk to you about something that I've had some trouble with um, as. Like I started as a team of one, like you talked about earlier and grew that. Um, and so most of the time when I'm, when I'm hiring someone like, or when I'm hiring a new role, I'm hiring someone to do a part of my job that I no longer have the bandwidth to do. And I no longer have the bandwidth to do that job well. And I definitely like struggle to find the bandwidth to write up solid document documentation on how to do it well and uh, find the bandwidth to train the person on how to do it well. Like it's a lot because if you're the only person that knows how to do it, you're the only person that can train them. And you're also wearing a bunch of other hats, doing a bunch of other things. So do you have any advice for that when you're hiring someone to do a job that you currently do um, while you're also trying to do a lot of other things? So whenever you're hiring, you have to find the right person for the position. So the, the, the first thing that you need to do is understanding what you're transitioning over, you know, particularly if you're taking something off of yourself and, and putting it into a new position. So, you, should, you know, you jot down, it doesn't have to be a detailed description, but these are the things that I'm transitioning over to this new position. And this is even before you start recruiting. And you basically start looking for a person who has the experience to actually do those things, right? Because you, in most cases, want someone who can really hit the ground running because to your point, you're not going to have the time to train them. So, you know, it's, it, you, you can't go through a 90-day training exercise. It's, you know, here are our priorities. This is what um, we're expecting you to do. It's like, go do it. So... Uh, I, I truly believe in empowerment of, uh, of, of my direct reports and, 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 you know, in a lot of cases, their direct reports. I always say that we're a team. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a, I was a three-sport athlete, so I believe in teamwork. I believe in that everyone has their role to play, and you find the best person to actually play that role or play that position. And that's the same mentality that I've kind of brought to leadership and IT is that we're looking for the best security person that we can find. And if I can pick that person, hire that person, 
I don't have to worry about it anymore, right? <laughs> so it's like, you know, call me if there are any issues or call me if there's anything that you, you need for me to do. And I, I try and explain that my job as, uh, as a leader and as CIO of the organization is to remove obstacles from your way. It's not to tell you how to do your job. <laughs> it's to, you know, get things out of your way to empower you to do your job. Nice. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I, I also to definitely think of my uh, team as just like, we're all the same, we all have the same goal. I'm just trying to either, in, in my job, it's make these podcasts great for companies and uh, however we need to go about doing that, whatever I need to do for you, for you to do that, that's what I'll do. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's how I do it. All right, so I got I got one more question for you. What is like either a great piece of advice you, you received early on in your career or something you wish you knew when you started in your career? Oh, wow. That's, that's a great question. <laughs> I would say it, it, it's really been a, a gradual learning experience. And I, would, I think that had I known early in my career that I had an opportunity to suck up knowledge from people who had been around much longer than, than, than I had at the time, that it would have saved me a lot of bumps and bruises. <laughs> and the reason that I say that is because you can learn so much from people who have been a, a part of an industry, who may have so much uh, uh, knowledge within that industry. Now, these may not be top people. They may not be top leaderships. These are the, uh, the technicians out on the floor. These are, you know, the mainframe technicians. And I really wish I would have, you know, sat down a lot more with them to, to kind of soak up their, their industry knowledge because I was, I was a, a bit of a, of a hot-headed kid, you know, out of college. I'm thinking I'm, I'm knowing everything about IT. But there are some some people who have been around a lot longer than I did that I could have learned a lot more from that uh, would have saved me a lot of headache down the road. <laughs> so, you know, for, for anyone who's kind of coming into the industry or who's kind of new to the industry, definitely leverage your teammates, definitely leverage the people around you and listen and, uh, you know, try and utilize their experience um, to your own advantage, not to make you know, certain mistakes. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.